Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. I'm glad to see your return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got a frightful item for you to gaze upon in wonder. If you take a look at it, it's over there in the corner. It's been untethered from its base by some precocious child, and it is floated up to the corner of the shop. Maybe one of these days I'll get a ladder and pull it down, but I might not be so inclined because while it may look like an ordinary red balloon filled with helium, the horrors that this balloon encapsulates are the things of nightmares, and of novels, and of miniseries, and of movies. And therein lies the subject of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at a recent documentary, Pennywise, The Story of It. Now, it has always been one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Stephen King novel. I, I would have to say, at the very least, the top three. It's really hard for me to rank things because I love so many different things for so many different reasons, especially when it comes to Stephen King's stories. But it is definitely, uh, at the very least, top three of my favorite novels from King. So I've, I've been a huge fan of it, the novel, and I was so excited when the miniseries came out there in the early 90s. And then when the, the two movies were coming out here within the past few years. It's not to say I've always been pleased with the outcomes of some of these adaptations. But we'll kind of talk about that here in a little bit. But one of these adaptations, the 1990 ABC miniseries of It!, is the subject of a recent documentary entitled Pennywise, The Story of It. Of course, it was directed and written by uh, John Campapiano, who also directed the Unearthed and Untold The Path to Pet Cemetery, which a uh, documentary about the, uh, the movie Pet Cemetery uh, from Mary Lambert that I absolutely love that documentary. It was also directed by Chris Griffiths, and it really was a, a great look back at the making of this miniseries, this adaptation of Stephen King's It uh, for ABC in 1990. And that's back when miniseries were still like a big television event. I remember growing up, well, like through the 80s, the late 70s and, and through the 80s, uh, you had stuff like Shogun and the Thornbirds and believe there was a mini series about Marco Polo that I remember some of them I was allowed to watch like Shogun and uh, I think the Marco Polo one I think I was allowed to watch some of that uh, Thornbirds was a little I didn't even want to watch that because that was all drama and it didn't have anybody with a sword and it didn't have any monsters in it but it was a big television event V when it was originally a mini series that was a big television event where the whole family gathered around whether the like I remember my parents sitting down to watch V and my mom and my dad and my you know grandparents and aunts and uncles I, I wouldn't consider most of them fans of horror but like I said a mini series was a television event so in 1990 we're still kind of in that era where a lot of America still had just the the three or four network television stations I mean if you had cable if you were lucky to have cable then you had more channels but you still just had the few channels and when a big event like this came on everybody was glued to the television so you're still kind of in that era where miniseries were a big deal and when I heard that they were doing Stephen King's It and I believe this was the first Stephen King property that they did as a miniseries now you know especially through the 90s it was just kind of commonplace through the 90s and early 2000s you had Tommy Knockers, uh, The Stand, Rose Red, Storm of the Century, 
later on they did desperation so you know it was a big deal to do a stephen king property as a miniseries but it all really kind of started with it and i really liked this documentary because while it didn't have any groundbreaking information most everything that was in this documentary as a stephen king fan a fan of it and a fan of the miniseries i it was all things that i knew about but it was cool to see from uh, the proverbial horse's mouth from the actors, from the writers, from the directors, what went on in making this. And I was fascinated mostly by the bits where Lawrence D. Cohen, who wrote the original draft of It, the miniseries, and what went into and how, how painstakingly he tried to stay, at least in the first night. The part one uh, was very true to the the book and really went to great lengths to stay true to the book. Now, I know in Night 2, the second part, uh, there were some deviations that director Tommy Lee Wallace guided back towards the book, which which I, I greatly appreciate. But, but he, again, Tommy Lee Wallace, again, was very aware of the original story and aware of staying true to the original story of Stephen King, which I which I liked. And and another thing I really found interesting is how much the cast really got into the book. How many of the how many of the actors maybe hadn't read it beforehand, but read it during the filming. And you know, I really like I, I read and heard a lot about that during Lord of the Rings. Uh, so many of the actors, like Christopher Lee, huge fan of the Lord of the Rings, read the story every year. Uh, a lot of the actors in Lord of the Rings. Maybe some of them had read the story before, but some of them read the story while they were, or maybe just before they started filming. So they could really influence their character by what is in the original text and the original word. And, and some of them rereading it or reading it again as they're, they're filming to try and draw inspiration from that. So I really like the fact that a lot of these actors in this, this miniseries, It, went to their own personal great lengths to to know the source material and I, I don't think anyone really specifically came out and said that it influenced uh, a particular thing that they did or or portrayal but I have to imagine that that really kind of influenced uh, their character decisions their acting decisions uh, to a degree having read the material although i felt really bad for uh the young actress who played young beverly marsh uh, emily perkins because apparently she had not read the book and uh many of the young boys who played younger versions of the other losers uh, had read the book and uh, of course, they kept making references to the big orgy scene uh, in the book. And of course, that was something they were never going to do, especially on uh, you know network television. But uh, they would always crack jokes alluding to that. And she wasn't in on it. She didn't know what they were talking about until her mother finally let her read the book. And then she was uh, she was all the wiser to their little little jokes. Another thing I really loved about this uh, documentary on this It miniseries was all the stuff we got with Tim Curry. Because Tim Curry, uh, you know, the guy has not been in the best health uh, in recent years. So it's great to get, you know, him, some accounts from him of, of playing this role, this iconic role for him. I mean, when you talk about iconic roles, you're talking about uh, Dr. Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show. You're talking It. Uh, the miniseries, two of the biggest, uh, most iconic characters, let alone roles, uh, that Tim Curry. But I, I loved how they talked about just letting Tim Curry be what is scary about Pennywise the Clown because they went through a lot of interesting takes on how they thought they should do uh, Pennywise for the screen. And a lot of it dealt with prosthetics and, you know, making his face elongated and doing other things with the character where Tim Curry was like, he didn't want to do prosthetics because he did a lot of that with the legend had the, you know, essentially a full torso prosthetic on and he didn't want to do that again. So he said, just let me be me and I will make Pennywise scary. And, and that's essentially what they did. I mean, they gave him kind of the bulbous head and they, they did the, 
clown nose, which I always loved how the clown nose looked like the, the typical clown rubber red nose, but they kind of made it fade into his nose like that was his nose. It just looked like a clown nose, uh, sort of this uh, alien uh, alien's idea of what a, a clown uh, is. It was always kind of fascinating to me, but they just did those kind of subtle special effects, subtle prosthetics, and other than that, it was just a ball cap and white face paint and the the clown painting on him and really all the scares were tim curry just being menacing just being sadistically funny and i love the stories from from some of the kids who were on set during filming of it the miniseries and how you know they'd walk by tim curry and he'd kind of snarl at them and scare the shit out of them uh although there was one funny story seth green who played the young richie tozer they were all in a car all the kids and tim curry and they were driving back to the hotel from from a shoot and Tim Curry's still in makeup, but he's just acting like a normal guy, talking to all the kids, you know, being fun and funny. And Seth Green is wearing a Rocky Horror Picture Show t-shirt and, and feeling like he should hide it, like uh, he shouldn't show that he's such a fanboy. Just a lot of really fun anecdotal stories from from some of these actors and and the directors and the crew that made this this miniseries possible it was just fascinating to watch and i have to admit a lot of the funniest stories a lot of the best stories were from the kids i mean some of the adults uh at least the ones that are still left in story unfortunately harry anderson's no longer with us john ritter's no longer with us i don't think they interviewed Annette o'toole so it was essentially just dennis christopher tim reed and of course richard thomas uh they did have richard mauser but richard mauser as the older stanley he's not in the film that much couple scenes uh so they had a little bit with him but a couple of the other losers are unfortunately no longer with us so that was sad that we didn't get to hear their stories but some of these older cast members told a lot of great stories about these characters there's some really interesting stories about john ritter and you know a lot of the kids got to meet the older version of themselves the actor and kind of meet them and get to to know them and know each other uh, so they could kind of copy mannerisms to to make that link between the the young losers and the the older version of the losers for this miniseries which i thought was uh, some really interesting stuff uh, another one of the things that i thought was really cool about this was the the controversial thing about it the miniseries no i'm not talking about the uh, the kid's sex orgy uh, that wasn't even in the miniseries uh, i don't even know it should have been in the book it was even at the time when i read this i was like this is this is troublesome uh, but uh the big problem that a lot of people have and even some of the the crew had and the actors had was the big spider scene with the finale i like how tommy lee wallace put it that they had champagne dreams on a beer budget and they did this kind of mock-up of the spider and how cool it looked and and everything and then when they finally got the spider on the set it really wasn't anything that like they were expecting but it was kind of cool to see how how much they could have done with the spider because i mean almost everything on this thing was articulated and could move and do things and they had a guy inside of the body of the spider working and manipulating things they didn't really do a whole lot with the spider you got a lot of close-ups and then they didn't they didn't do half of what they could have done with the the giant space spider when it comes to the the practicality of of using it on the set now i'll kind of give my thoughts on the it versions of the spider uh, a little later because i'm going to talk a little bit about the movies that came up and the book itself as we move along but i'll kind of save that towards uh, once i get into talking about the the new uh, andy machete uh, it's chapter one and chapter two 
But it really was interesting to hear them talk about this. It was interesting to hear them talk about the uh, music because uh, Richard Bellis uh, actually won some awards for his compositions for the It miniseries. And that's one of the things I really loved about this miniseries because some of the later Stephen King miniseries, and, and I love Mick Garris. I think he's a great director. I think he's got a love and a passion for Stephen King's stories. And I think he is really able to tell Stephen King's stories well. I loved his version of The Stand. Even though it's much maligned, I liked his version of The Shining because that was the Stephen King story. Maybe it wasn't as atmospheric and quote-unquote scary as the Stanley Kubrick movie, but it was a made-for-TV miniseries. Uh, I really like that. Desperation, I like the story he told. There again, it just it was it was something that probably shouldn't have been a TV, a network TV miniseries. Uh, a lot of King's stuff should not have been made for network television. Uh, and, and like they mentioned in this documentary, how this miniseries for It was ahead of its time. If it would have come out today, uh, they would have been able to do it a lot better. They could have been a little truer to the book with the gore and the horror of it because you could have done this for a streaming service or HBO and you would have had you know the, the restraints released. But one of the things I, I, I don't like about the, and I kind of digress there, but uh, one of the things I, I don't like about the Mick Garris miniseries is because a lot of them, uh, not The Stand, I really like The Stand because The Stand uh, used a lot of acoustic guitar and it really kind of played into the Larry Underwood vibe of it. But when you look at his miniseries like The Shining and Desperation, it's a lot of keyboards and keyboard orchestras, and it just, it feels very 90s made for TV. And I, I, I pick on Mick Garris, but he wasn't the only one. A lot of the other Stephen King uh, miniseries, uh, Storm of the Century, Rose Red, were very much the same as far as scoring the miniseries. It all felt the same. It was all kind of that keyboard orchestration. Uh, that was the big thing in in the 90s, especially, is using keyboards to, to score television shows and miniseries and things like that. And it just kind of gives it a, a cheaper quality. Whereas this, I don't know if they used keyboards or anything. If you listen to, to some of the pieces from the It 1990 miniseries, it feels orchestral. It feels bigger. It feels voluminous. It, it feels like it's a bigger production than the budget for this production would have allowed. And that's why Richard Bellis uh, won awards for this, because it, it really filled out what I think was a, a really good adaptation of Stephen King's It. Now, I want to kind of get into some of the things I really loved about the novel, because I don't want this to be just about the Pennywise, the story of It documentary, because, you know, if you if you love It, if you love Stephen King, uh, you're going to love this this documentary. It's got a lot of old archival footage of, of interviews and uh, speaking engagements with Stephen King where he kind of talks about how he came up with the idea. It was essentially the idea of the three billy goats gruff where they're walking over the bridge and the troll underneath and essentially the kids are the goats, the troll is Pennywise, and Derry is the bridge. And that was kind of the jumping off point for this story. But one of the things I really love about Stephen King's It is, one, it's not so much a coming-of-age story. Because I think these kids, it's not about them coming of age. It's them being forced to become adults before their time. It's a loss of innocence. Because you have these characters that are thrust into these life and death circumstances because this town is full of adults that just turn a blind eye to all the horrors of life. I read this book probably when I was about 16. I don't think I had seen the miniseries yet because I remember reading the book and not having the picture of like Richard Thomas as 
older bill didn't have the picture of Richard Mauser as Stanley, the first loser as an adult that we really get to meet in the book. So I must have seen the miniseries afterwards. I'm getting older, so now the, the timelines are, are, are a little jumbled up in my head, like I've I've uh, left Derry and all the memories are starting to fade. But, but I loved this book because one, like I said, it's really a loss of innocence story. It also has a great monster, but really the first three stories you get in this just grab you in in such a devious way the opening scene with georgie him and bill and that that sweet innocent scene where bill is sick but he's making the paper boat and they're getting the paraffin wax and and sealing it up and just the joking back and forth between bill and georgie it really reminded me a lot of the relationship that i have with my younger brother the age difference is a little bigger between me and my brother than than bill and georgie but when i'm reading this i'm seeing him in the georgie position i'm seeing myself in the bill position and just what happens just it, you know it, it really messed me up and really moved me to tears thinking if something like this happened to my younger brother and that's you know when when a book emotionally makes you attach to the characters and then just devastate you emotionally thinking of you know it's a there but for the grace of god go i scenario uh that's why i love stephen king because his characters grab you they take you in and they allow you to become the character and that's I think is what is so fascinating about him and so fascinating about his stories and what was fascinating about this because this was probably one of the one of the first novels I read a lot of Stephen King's short story books uh, as I was just getting into King about that time and this is probably one of the first novels I think it was either between this and Misery I think I maybe read Misery first and then I probably read it. Uh, next as far as novels go but i really loved that brother dynamic and then to have that just ripped asunder uh, much like georgie's arm was ripped off it's just it was devastating and it, it sucked me right into the to the characters and to the horror that awaited me in this book and then the next scene that really stood out and probably the scene i remember the most was the scene where stanley uris takes a bath and it's the section of the book where Mike Hanlon calls Stan, an adult Stanley Uris, and tells him that it is back in Derry. And Stan goes up and draws a bath and slits his wrist and then writes it on the wall. And I just remember reading that at the time, at 16 years old, to be sitting there reading about somebody killing themselves and taking their life. It really seemed quite taboo at the time because, I mean, uh, not that there's not a stigma about killing oneself now, but uh, there was an even bigger stigma. You know, it's like, oh, this guy killed himself. I guess maybe at the time uh, it wasn't as prevalent uh, in my life personally. Uh, since then, I've, I've known several people that have unfortunately taken their own life. And uh, maybe it it was virgin territory for me and to, to read about the, the ins and outs of what would be going through somebody's mind. It's just like I said, it just felt very taboo. And between that and the Georgie scene, it was like all bets are off. I don't know what horrors await me in the rest of this book. And, and uh, boy, was I right. But that's not the only thing. You know, it, it was the characters. I think Stephen King writes wonderful characters. And even though... These kids are set in the 1950s, 1957, 1958. They really are universal in their archetypes. And they're very universal in the way that, you know, kids just kind of gravitate towards each other, especially kids that uh, maybe aren't the cool kids or aren't the jocks, uh, the kind of kids on the fringe, the outcasts. They kind of gravitate towards each other and... You know, they don't care about each other's differences. They'll make fun of each other's differences because that's what kids do. They they rip on each other and that sort of thing. But, you know, a situation where you have, you know, the fat kid, the stuttering kid, the loudmouth kid that won't shut up, the sickly kid, the black kid, the poor girl, the Jewish kid, all these archetypes. And 
you know, these kids just kind of gravitate towards each other like kids do and become friends and all their differences. Like I said, well, they'll, they'll point them out and they'll rib each other about them. Uh, at the end of the day, their differences don't matter because they just like being around each other. And, and that's, you know, that's how kids are. That's how my friends and I were, you know, we had our differences and we weren't the cool kids, but you know what? We, we hung out and we did things. Uh, we didn't dam up shitty water, but <laughs> we did a lot of things similar to that. We dammed up creeks and, and, and whatnot and built forts and clubs and, and stuff like that. So th- there was really a kinship to these kids in how they interacted with each other and how they just acted as kids in general. And one of the things I liked about the uh, it miniseries from 1990 is that they really kept a lot of these kids their personalities true to the true to the book and even their adult versions most of them were fairly true to the book harry anderson is richie tozer uh, instead of being a dj he's a he's a comic for like tv which was one of the things that disappointed me as well in the Andy Machete version of it is that they made Bill Hader, the adult version of Richie Tozer, uh, they made him a stand-up comic. And I'm like, what do people have against DJs? In, in full disclosure, full transparency, I have been a DJ for the better part of 30 years. The last two years, I haven't been on the air so much because I've taken a job in the in the office uh, writing and producing commercials, but uh, been a part of radio for 30 years. So uh, I, was, I, I thought that was cool that Richie was a, a DJ as an adult in the book and and that nobody's done that has disappointed me greatly. But uh, the Eddie Kasprat character, uh, they did that character a little bit different in the 90 miniseries because they made him, uh, instead of marrying a woman that looks like his mother or, or is like his mother, he just lives with his mother, which led into the whole revelation that he's a virgin at the end of the 90s miniseries, which I it didn't care for that. That was kind of stupid. But other than that, all the other characters really kind of were uh, a good representation of how they turned out in the book. Now, the Andy Machete version is totally different. We'll talk about that coming up. And I really liked the juxtaposition between the kids' confrontation with it in the late 1950s to the adult versions of the Losers Club uh, and their confrontation with it in 1984-1985. I liked how a lot of things mirrored each other. It was a little bit confusing when you got into the ritual of Chewed, uh, when you've got <laughs> into the uh, Maturin, the space turtle who vomited up the universe. Uh, all that stuff got a little crazy and a little weird and a little I you know I remember as a 16 year old sitting there thinking what the hell am I reading but it was all interesting it just was taking you into a world that you just didn't understand and and trying to make sense of that I liked how Pennywise used each kid's individual fear to to try and and scare them and uh, you know, I, I liked all the references to some of the old classic horrors of the, the 50s, Wolfman, the mummy, the homeless guy offering Eddie a blowjob outside of the house on Nebold Street uh, was a little weird. The whole idea of the big bird was kind of cool. Uh, you know, I loved all those things, all those incarnations of Pennywise that made him more than just the clown. And the confrontation with Pennywise when when they're kids in the, in the 50s, how, you know, he took different forms in there, the big eyeball. He There's a brief uh, scene with him as the spider. Now, I do have to say that the, the book threw me for a loop with the big post-Pennywise battle royale uh, sex scene between all of these, what were they, 11 years old at the time? Uh, Beverly trying to, uh, the group's kind of, they're arguing with each other, they're lost. She's trying to bring them together. So she has sex with all of the boys. And the, the line, who's first? Just, I'm like, oh, oh my God, King's really doing this. And and while I, I don't advocate this scene, because you know, as a 16 year old, I'm like, this is, this is effed up. If my mom knows I'm reading this, I'm going to be grounded. But it was, I, I get what Stephen King was doing there. It's essentially a metaphor for these kids having their childhood taken away from them. They had to be adults much sooner than they needed to be because 
They had uh, adults in their lives that wouldn't pay attention to them and would not protect them. So they had to take matters into their own hands and fight Pennywise. Uh, they lost that innocence. And that act of Beverly having sex with all the boys, I think, is a metaphor for that loss of innocence, for having to become adults too soon, much much sooner than they needed to become adults. Uh, it still was a creepy way of, of doing that metaphor. I, I get it. There again, uh, I think if, if King, if there's anything I would rather King have taken out of the book, that thing probably would be top on the list. The only thing on the list. Again, like I said, I get why he did it. It's just a little creepy, and I'm so glad it's never shown up in any adaptation and hopefully will not be done in any adaptation in the future. I think they've got laws against that sort of shit. But I love the whole idea, especially after they're uh, kids and they fight it, you know, slicing, you know, Stanley uh, cuts his hand and then they all cut their hands and take a blood oath. You know, uh, my best friend and I became blood brothers that that way, cutting our hands and, and sharing blood and it reminded me so much of my childhood, even though my childhood happened in essentially the 80s. It's just kind of lent itself to that universality. I don't know if that's an actual word, but uh, that universal nature of, of kids and growing up, uh, whether it's in the 50s or in the 80s. And I really liked the ending of it for the adults. I thought that the showdown was really good and really cool. Like, there again, the the Ritual of Chud uh, works so much better in a book than it does on the screen. And we'll kind of talk about the, the finale uh, of both adaptations a little bit later. Uh, but it, it works so well on the page. It's just so hard to represent on the screen. Even as confusing as it can be when they kind of go into this void, this space out of time. And, and that really can be a little bit overwhelming, especially like me. I was 16 when I read this uh, to wrap my mind around some of these bigger universal themes uh, that got very Lovecraftian in, in a sort of way, in a cosmic way. But now looking at it as an adult, it is very cool. It's very interesting. Uh, you know, I've never seen anything like this uh, on a movie. I, then there's probably a good reason for that because how do you represent that in a movie? The miniseries tried to, in a way... But it usually just meant that the actors were just staring into what was the deadlights of Pennywise. But another one of the things I really liked about the book was the destruction of Derry and just how intertwined Derry was with Pennywise. The town was intertwined with it. And just so many of the, the overarching themes about violence and all these horrible things that this town turns a blind eye to. That Pennywise, it awakens him. It allows him to feed. It really is a town that is tethered to Pennywise in some way that I don't think we ever really fully understand. And when Pennywise gets destroyed, the town uh, doesn't get completely destroyed, but uh, there's a lot of destruction because those webs, essentially those webs that Pennywise the spider has built under his uh, his lair, uh, it, it almost feels like it has a, a psychic extension, connective tissue to the town, and, and those vibrations of, of it being killed have an effect on the town. Uh, that's just my supposition. That's not anything uh, from the book or anything like that. But I really enjoyed the idea that this town is so connected to it that uh, when it dies, it really starts to die as well. And that leads to a, a whole other vein of horror that we might get into with uh, something else that's coming up. And I'll, I'll talk about that as well, the new uh, Pennywise prequel. But like I said, I love it. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, one of these days, I'd like to do a reread and then maybe do a deep dive into the uh, end of the story itself. Uh, the Losers Club, if you've ever listened to that podcast, I, I listen to it quite often. And uh, they do a great breakdown of that. Check those out, definitely, if you love this love this story. Hopefully, one day, I might uh, might do that. But, uh, but I do want to kind of talk about the Andy Machete adaptation as well. Now, I have not been a fan of the 2017-2019 films from uh, Andy Machete. Uh, I, I think he's a good director, don't get me wrong. And I think there was a good basis... The first, it 
Chapter One, the nineteen or the twenty seventeen film. I probably like that more than I did the It Chapter Two. Yeah, there are some things I really did like. I, I liked the opening scene with Georgie. I liked how true it was to the book. Uh, I liked the fact that they included the Adrian Mellon portion of the story. We didn't get that in the miniseries, if I'm not mistaken. Now, it's not exactly as it is in the book, but it's a pretty good representation. It really was a, a great way to lead up to where we are with it where he needs that tragedy, that trauma, that hate, uh, those sorts of things to wake it back up and and start to feed again. And and I think the, the Adrian Mellon story uh, was an important part of the book, and I was glad to see it in the Andy Machete. Uh, it, and I loved the casting. Much like I loved the casting of the 90s uh, miniseries, I really did love the casting of the... The kids, especially, and the adults for the It movies. I thought the kids all did a really good job. I thought the older versions of them looked a lot like the younger versions, uh, especially Bill Hader uh, really looked like a younger version of Finn Wolfhard. The The kid that played Eddie uh, really looked like the, the older version of Eddie. I really like uh, the young kid that plays uh, Georgie Jackson, Robert Scott, who's in Stephen King's son's production of Lock and Key. But I really liked him as Georgie. He had a lot of that innocence. And I like the interaction uh, with him and the, and the young Bill. I didn't mind that they changed some of the characters. I didn't mind that uh, Richie wasn't a redhead. I did have an issue with the fact that they made uh, the Richie character gay at the end of it. Not that I cared that they made the character gay or if there was a gay character in the story. I just, I hate that they changed the character that much because really to me, uh, it was kind of special, the relationship between Richie and Eddie. And I like the fact that you can have two straight males that love each other, that have a love for one another. They don't have to be gay to have that. I mean, to sit there and say that any two guys that have affection for one another are, they're gay. That's as bad as when kids in the 80s or, or 70s or whatever would see two guys that are, are chumming around together and would call them gay as a slur. I mean, that to me, that's... That's why there's that slur, because people automatically assume two guys that are that are close are gay. And if you don't want people to use that as some kind of slur, don't perpetuate the slur, if that makes any sense. I don't think there's anything wrong with two, showing two adult males that, that have a love for one another, a brotherly love, a, a best friend love, a love that, you know, it, it doesn't have, you know, it's not, it's not romantic, but... It's the type of love that you would die for this person. Uh, my best friend and I, I, I think we had that kind of a bond. I think it's sad that the filmmakers couldn't have that type of a bond without making it about romantic feelings. But like I said, I really did love Bill Hader in the role. It wasn't his call to do that sort of, of change of the character. And it, it wasn't a big deal for me. It's not why I, I don't like this movie. Uh, I just thought it was kind of odd that they would make that choice when they could have just just kept things simple and kept the character true to the character in the book. But no matter what Bill Hader was handed, as far as the character goes, he played it to perfection. He did a great job. Now, there was so much I didn't like about the Andy Machete movies because, and, and I could I could dedicate a whole podcast to that, but I, I hated how they treated the ritual of Chewed and, and them having to go find the tokens for it. it was It was stupid. Now, don't get me wrong. I was excited when I found out that uh, they were going to do the Ritual of Chewed in the movies, which they didn't do at all. They didn't even reference in the the It miniseries in kind of the stand-in for them doing the Ritual of Chewed was essentially just uh, Bill and Richie getting caught in the deadlights and being in a trance. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't touch the Ritual of Chewed at all because I, I get it. It's a daunting thing to try and tackle. But uh, when I saw what they did with the Ritual of Chewed in the movies, I, I felt like Ralphie from A Christmas Story right after he finds out his decoder pin just decodes an advertisement for Oval Team. I was like, Son of a bitch. 
But ultimately, the ritual of Chud in the movie, it, it didn't have any bearing on the outcome. It was kind of useless just doing it to do it to say you did part of the book. And it really, it, it didn't make any sense. They could have done the, the walking tour like the book and, and not have get items. Uh, that sign kind of seemed silly. Uh, the way they found out about the ritual of Chud was, was ridiculous making the Mike Handling character. I like how they kept him kind of like the librarian or the records keeper, but they made him uh, like a peyote junkie. And I, I hated how like they made Mike Handling's character is the one that brings the photo album that, you know, his family has been a part of Derry for a long time and endured all the racism of Derry. And he brings the photo album in the book and in the, in the 90s miniseries. But then they gave all that to Ben in the Andy Machete movies who just moved to town and doesn't know anything about the area. It just, it didn't make any sense. The movie was really pushing Beverly and Ben's characters and everyone else was just kind of a, a backdrop to them. Bill still was kind of front and center because he had to be because of Georgie. I wish they would have stayed a little truer to the things that scared the kids that Pennywise turned into. They they really kind of deviated from a lot of that stuff. And I know you, you can't do I was a teenage werewolf, but you could have still done a werewolf. Werewolves are still a part of popular culture. You didn't have to do a Michael Landon wannabe in a leather jacket and a werewolf mask. I mean, you didn't have to do that, but you could have done a werewolf. Uh, you could have done the mummy. I think they did the leper. They didn't do a horrible job with that, but I wish it, like I said, it would have been a little truer to the books and what scared the kids in the books. And I hated how they made the house on Nebolt Street. Uh, they made that more of a centerpiece than the actual sewers. Like they broke into the sewers through that instead of, you know, being in the barrens and, and, and all that. I just I, I didn't like how they made the house on Nebolt Street more important than it needed to be, than it actually was, especially in the second half of it where where the kids are now adults. Because that led to a lot of haunted house stuff that just wasn't in the book. And and that leads to the the whole climax of the it movies, the Andy Machete movies, uh, that I, I just one of the things I really hate is the way they did the climax. You know, Pennywise has that whole bit about uh, the balloons floating. They all float down here. And it was such a great line, a creepy line in the book. It was a creepy line delivered by Tim Curry in the 90s miniseries. And then they, in the Andy Machete movie, they made it quite literal. Uh, kids floated around this big junk clubhouse that Pennywise built. It was just stupid. It was ridiculous. That whole climax where Pennywise turns into the giant clown spider was just dumb. And and I know people give a lot of shit to the 90s miniseries and that spider. Uh, it wasn't very dynamic. It wasn't filmed the way it should have been. It wasn't filmed well enough to really highlight some of the things. The stop motion animation, even for its time in 1990, felt a little dated and, and I love stop motion animation, but it was just, uh, it was clunky and janky, but still the look of it was creepy and scary and the Pennywise giant clown spider was stupid. There was nothing scary about that. There was nothing funny about that. It was just dumb. Pennywise growing into this giant with spider, you know, his legs looked regular but they he just had multiple like a spider it was just and, and i remember hearing interviews with andy machete where he's talking about oh wait till you see the spider scene it's gonna reinvent the wheel essentially and it, it was just dumb it was horrible it was a stupid fucking idea and it, it took me i i almost got up and walked out but i'm like I, i've made it this far this is the end i'll i'll stick this out but i that's why I haven't watched the movie since then. I take that back. I watched them one more time just to give it another chance uh, when it came out on HBO or, or something, some streaming service. I watched it again, and I hated it just as much the second time around. And they really turned what is supposed to be a very cerebral fight into a big giant chase scene with uh, stupid tiny dog jokes, and it, it was not the book. And, and that's what pisses me off so much about Stephen King adaptations today. At least, you know, the, the 
miniseries of the 90s and a lot of the movies of the 80s and, and late 70s, you know what? They may not be as good special effects wise. They may not be as good with the visual effects. Uh, they may not have Academy Award winning actors. They may not have Academy Award winning composers writing the scores. But at least they were true to Stephen King's goddamn work. I don't want to see some hack director. Well, I can't say hack director because we've had a lot of good directors directing Stephen King properties in the past you know, 10, 15 years. But they think for some God-blessed reason that I want to see their version of what Stephen King's story should be. I don't want to see what you think Stephen King's story should be. I want to see Stephen King's fucking story on the screen. There are enough ways that you can do things differently with themes, with looks, with actors, with different parts of the story. You know, no Stephen King adaptation has the complete work of Stephen King from start to end. There are different scenes you can do. There's different ways of filming scenes. There are different special effects you can do to make this adaptation different from the 90s miniseries without turning Pennywise into a giant fucking clown spider. It's just stupid. And that's why I hate the the new Stephen King It movies. I don't even like attaching Stephen King's name to it because he, he has nothing to do with that abomination I don't think. Now, after that whole rant, I do want to mention a couple more things that I did kind of like about the Andy Machete. Uh, it uh, A couple scenes that I thought were really cool. One was the scene with the little girl under the bleachers. Of course, the little girl played by uh, Ryan Kier Armstrong, who uh, played Charlie at the brand new Firestarter. Uh, another film, <laughs> a Stephen King adaptation I wasn't high on. But uh, but that scene was truly one of the scariest scenes in the in the whole movie. And it wasn't even in the novel It. So I, I wish uh, Andy Muschietti would have focused more on making the stuff from the book as scary as that scene was because I thought, you know, Bill Skarsgård and uh, Ryan Kerr Armstrong both did excellent in that. Uh, I also loved, of course, the Stephen King cameo was awesome. Stephen King cameos are always awesome when he's in uh, any movie. And then I also like the scene with Bill Hader. Uh, it's when they're adults and they're in the house on Neibolt Street and Stan's head is in the refrigerator and it comes out and it grows legs uh, kind of like the head in John Carpenter's The Thing and then of course uh, Bill Hader recants the uh, Palmer line you've got to be fucking kidding which I, I thought it didn't fit but I thought it was it was quite funny so no matter what other problems I have with the Andy Machete it chapter one it chapter two I can get past all those things. I can get past uh, some of the differences in character looks. I can get past him making Richie gay for, for no reason whatsoever. I can get past a lot of things. I can get past a lot of added scenes. I can get past a lot of things that were given more importance than they, they needed. But the one thing I cannot get past is that giant fucking clown at the end of the movie. I can't do it. It wrecked the whole thing for me. So where does that leave us with it? Well, we've always got the old 90s miniseries that we can fall back on. It's not perfect, but it is a good representation, a faithful representation to King's work. And we still have it, the book, the novel that we can go back and read. What do we see in the future? Well, HBO Max is going to be doing a prequel series to it called Welcome to Dairy. Now, this is going to be Andy Machete. He's doing this. It's going to be in the 1960s. Now, uh, this is before the events of It Chapter 1 in, in his movies, which It Chapter 1 in his movies took place in the 80s. So this would essentially be, if it were Stephen King's novel, this would be taking place in like the 30s as opposed to the 50s. I, I, I understand the timeline. I And that's one of the things I don't mind about Andy Machete's uh, version of it is that I don't mind that he moved it from the 50s and the 80s 
to the 80s and today. Uh, that didn't bother me at all. Plus, in the 80s scene, you get that sweet uh, needle drop of Anthrax's version of Truss Antisocial. But apparently, this is going to be about the origin story of Pennywise the Clown, Bob Gray, if you will, uh, which I, that was another thing I was glad Andy Machete added to the movie that I don't think they touched on in the miniseries. Again, just uh, bigger things that, that really didn't, uh, weren't pertinent to the story that they left out of the miniseries, but uh, I liked how they added the fact that Pennywise's name is actually Bob Gray, and of course uh, that name comes up in, in other King entities. But uh, I, but I like how they included that, and maybe maybe we'll dive a little more into that in this this prequel series. So it'll be interesting to see kind of that connective tissue between Pennywise and Derry and how, you know, he kind of took over this town, the soul of this town, so to speak. So I, I'm kind of interested to see how it is. I just, uh, there's a lot of war weariness with, with me and Andy Machete when it comes to it. Uh, I wanted to like it so much better than I did. And even his version of Pennywise, I, I liked Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. I thought he did a good job with the role. It's not a it's not a matter of that. It's just that Andy Machete made Pennywise creepy and scary from Jump Street. And that was the allure of Pennywise. Pennywise looked like a regular clown. Of course, this is back when not everybody thought clowns were creepy. Pennywise was uh, a funny, you know, looked like a regular clown to draw kids in. And then that's when he ripped your arm off. Andy Machete made uh, Pennywise creepy from the get-go. And he looked creepy. He looked sinister and menacing. And that, I just, I, that's not the Pennywise I want. I, I like the way that Pennywise was portrayed in the book, which was accurately represented in the 90s miniseries with Tim Curry. And Andy Machete said, fuck that. I'm going to do what I want. Clowns are creepy now, so I'm going to make Pennywise a creepy clown. And I, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of that in the welcome to dairy series but we'll see i'm certainly going to give it a fair shot uh in spite of my feelings on its uh chapter one and chapter two so there you have it that is a look at uh, my take on the new documentary pennywise the story of it if you love stephen king if you love the story of it if you love the 90s miniseries check that out if you've never read it i encourage you to to read it it's a long book, but it is a good book. I mean, it's really good. And then check out the 90s miniseries because I think you're going to find that is a lot more faithful than the stuff we got with the 2017-2019 movies. Which, like I said, they had their good points, but they got a hell of a lot more bad points to them. So I want to thank uh, everyone for listening to my thoughts on it, the miniseries, and the Pennywise documentary and listen to me bitch incessantly about the It movies. Uh, thanks for taking the time and be sure to check out Odds Bodkins on Facebook for all that's going down in the world of horror, fantasy, and science fiction. We're always posting trailers and sharing articles from all over the internet, adding my two cents uh, as well. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, as well as downloading. Uh, subscribing, sharing, all that good stuff. Get the word out there and spread the word about this podcast. Anyone that you know that loves genre and loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>